Oh, your shiny guitar is bothering people? Huh. I hate it when that happens. I got the same issue with my head. Right, right up there. It's just, don't bend down. Okay. If you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 20. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to grab one and borrow it or keep it as you have need. And if you're a user of the Bible app, you can open there, uh, open up, find our live event. You can link off our social media sites or just find it by location. We're going to pray. Hey, and here's how I want to pray this morning. As we uh, get going, I was um, reading this morning just for me personally, um, and I thought, excuse me, and I ran across this story, and I thought, man, what a, what a good word for us today. Uh, Jesus, um, when he went and, and actually healed one of the lepers, the lepers, uh, the folks with leprosy, one, one of the guys uh, said to him, hey, I, I really want to be healed. Jesus, you know what happened? He reached out and touched him. Previously, lepers are untouchable. It made Makes those who touch them ceremonially unclean and medically, you know, there were challenges. And Jesus still reached out and touched him to bring healing. Uh, some of you walk in here and you need a touch this morning. Uh, and some of you walk in with the attitude, I'm untouchable. And so we just want to pray that God would do that. And so uh, speak to us from his word, and that somehow, either through song, through message, Sunday school lesson, through encouragement in the conversations, in the hallway, whatever, God would touch you, and you would know uh, that, that he is in hot pursuit. You're chosen and not forsaken. Let's pray. Um, uh, Father, that's what I'm asking over us as a church family, uh, my own life, um, uh, every, uh, uh, I guess I'll say it this way, us corporately, but also, God, every individual in here, you would touch them. And God, anybody who's walking in saying, I'm untouchable, by your reaching out today, uh, you would put that lie to death and let the truth reign. Father, as, as we um, engage uh, with your word here and we open it, up. I pray, Father, that you would open us up because we need to hear from you. We don't need to hear from a man. We don't need an opinion. We don't need advice. We need revelation. So set it down upon us. Bring the kingdom to bear on us. And God, may we be different because of it. Come, Holy Spirit, touch your people. Touch us. We need an encounter with you. And so speak to us from your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. <clears throat> um, I don't know uh, if you've thought about how today falls with the week that is coming. Uh, sometimes maybe you grew up in a church where... Uh, uh, this particular Sunday, the Sunday before the 4th of July, uh, there was patriotic music and things like this. Um, because we love our country so much and want it to be the best, uh, we know that in order for our country to be the best, the church has to be the best that it can be. Everything that God intended it to be. In order for the church, for, uh, in order for the church to be the, everything that God intended it to be, uh, we have to stand up and preach the Bible. So that's what we're going to do today, Acts chapter 20. That's what we're after, all right? And so, uh, just to catch everybody up to speed, Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he has been um, all these different kinds of places. We're going to start and pick up a lot of names and a lot of spots here. I just want to say that out loud, uh, first six verses of, of chapter 20. After the uproar ceased, so there was a riot in Ephesus, uh, there was this big thing, and, and, and uh, uh, God used one of the magistrates there, the town clerk, uh, to settle things down. 
After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. Uh, when he had gone through those regions and had given uh, them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was made, him, uh, made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and then Gaius of Derby and Timothy, uh, uh, and the Asians, Tychicus and uh, Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. So that's a lot of words, it's a lot of places, and I'm guessing none of you have any idea where most of that went down. You're like, oh, Greece. Yeah, yeah. Didn't I go to school with a guy named Tychicus? I mean, maybe you had that. But so, uh, just to help us here, third missionary journey, if we could get the map up there. And look here, people. Look what I have. I've got Tyler's laser pointer. Um, I'll try to do it on both sides here so that everybody's up to speed. Um, we, we fully expect this technology to revolutionize everything around here. Uh, but, but so, not really. Uh, so, so, Paul's down here in this area right here, in this, this green area right here, and he's making his way back this way. Ultimately, next, uh, uh, not, not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, he's going to land in Jerusalem uh, down here. But, so we're catching him as he's in this kind of northern arc uh, right there. That's, that's what we're talking about. Um, so he leaves Ephesus, makes his way up uh, through this area, picks up some companions uh, kind of along the way, leaves from Philippi, which is way up here in the north, way up here in the north, uh, and then begins setting sail, ultimately lands in Troas, uh, which is right here, uh, in, which is uh, kind of in the northwest corner of what's modern-day Turkey. Everybody excited about the laser pointer? Great. Great. You can tell Tyler, thanks for bringing that out, okay? I've been holding, excited about having a laser pointer. That's pretty fun. Uh, here's here's kind of what I want to um, think about, though. Break this text up, because we've got a few more verses to read in a minute, but to break this text up into a couple of different uh, segments. And the first one is to think about, um, not so much about where Paul went, but the people that he went with. Who were his companions along the way? Or to talk, just for just for a few moments, about friendship. Um, uh, friendship. He, he lists several names here. I just want to highlight a couple here uh, in verse, excuse me, in verse four, Gaius. Um, it says, it mentions Gaius of Derby. Gaius, he was seized along with this guy, other guy that he mentions named Aristarchus in the Ephesian riot back in chapter 19. So they're in with Paul. They're with him. Uh, he was from Derby. Uh, according to first Corinthians chapter one, he was baptized by Paul in Corinth in the local church. That happened in, in Acts chapter 18. Um, and in Romans 16, we see that Gaius was the, one of the ones who hosted Paul at his house as Paul uh, uh, wrote the letter uh, to the Romans and stuff. So, I mean, you've got uh, this significant involvement there. Aristarchus, I mentioned him already, but he was kind of in the, in the riot. We got sucked up into the, the vacuum of the riot there with Gaius. Um, he also was seized in the riot. He accompanied Paul sailing to Rome later in Acts chapter 27. We're going to see Aristarchus along with him uh, in Colossians chapter 4 and in Philemon. Uh, he is called a co-laborer and a fellow prisoner. So how much is he in? He's in, right? He is in. Um, tradition, the church tradition holds that Aristarchus was martyred by Nero, the crazy man who ran the government at the time. 
Um, you got these two guys uh, called the Asians, Trophimus and, Tych- and Tychicus there. Uh, Trophimus was a Gentile. He ultimately accompanies Paul to Jerusalem. He stays close enough to Paul that the Jews in Acts 21 will accuse Paul of bringing a Gentile into the temple. That's how close he was. He's with him, okay? Um, uh, ultimately, in a later time, he was left uh, sick uh, in Miletus, this, this place. We'll see some more here in just a minute. Paul is concerned about him. And then Tychicus, another Gentile, um, again, he's mentioned as an Asian. When we say Asian, really what, what we're talking about is, is modern-day Turkey up there. Um, uh, he carries the letter, Tychicus carries the letter of Colossians to the city, the church in Colossae. Um, and so he is called in that letter, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. He is later sent to Ephesus, probably also with a letter that we know is the letter to the Ephesians. Um, and, and finally, uh, the last time we hear about Tychicus, he was sent to Crete to help Titus. And we see that in Second Timothy and in Titus. Um, so why, why go through all of that? Here's why. Uh, f- friendship is a lost art in our world today. And so I wanted just to let the, I believe that every word in the Bible, there's no throwaway words. And so when you run across a list like this, we could just chunk it out and go, yeah, Paul traveled a lot. Man, he got a lot of stamps on his passport. I wonder if he got frequent fire miles. I mean, we can put those things aside or we can say, man, what do we learn from here? I just want to learn, uh, let, let text here speak a couple of things to us about friendship. Number one, friends shape you. Friends shape you, okay? That's really critical uh, to understand that you are basically the sum of the books you read and the friends you have. I mean, like, that's, they shape you. Um, uh, lonely people, people who are disconnected, who don't have friends, they, they are unshaped, both uh, uh, spiritually, emotionally, uh, and even there is physical impact on this. We'll le- read this from the scripture here in just a second, but just um, friends shape you. Can you, can you. Can you think about your friendships and how they might have changed you and who you are today? Um, as I said, there's, there's spiritual impact. We'll talk more about that in just a second. There, there is a physical impact to having friends or not. I want to point out this guy, um, not famous at all. Anybody? He's not famous at all. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew that he wasn't famous. His name is Dougla- Douglas Nemechek. Anybody? No? Douglas Nemechek? Chief medical officer for a little company called Cigna Health Insurance. Um, the the, the um, National Institutes of Health released a report and said that uh, loneliness um, increases blood pressure, heart disease, obesity. It, it, um, uh, it weakens your immune system, raises anxiety, depression, is linked with cognitive, cognitive decline, um, an increase of chance of Alzheimer's disease and even death. And then Douglas Nemechek comes along, chief medical officer for Cigna, and says this, loneliness, don't miss this, loneliness has the same impact on mortality. You have, it has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, which makes it even more dangerous than obesity. So when we talk about friends and how friendship shapes you, there is a, there, uh, you know, you can't get around the kind of physical, emotional, relational, and, and spiritual implications of how friends shape you. It's not just hey, I got a moment here and we can be friends for a second. And like, these are things that shape us for good uh, if we have 
friends and are engaged in friendship or for ill. Uh, this, the Proverbs said it like this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Does anybody know like that? Pulls back so that they can do what they want to do. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, you spin up stories, you uh, uh, create, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of narrative arcs, or, or uh, you jump into thought patterns. You, you do all sorts of, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Now, compare that to iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Friends shape us. If we pull back, we, we are misshapen. If, if we are in, engaged with others, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. God uses these to shape us. That was true for Paul with all of these folks who were listed because they weren't just like, oh, Paul, we'll follow you anywhere. No, no, no. They're in with him. They're in. Fellow laborer, fellow prisoner. Hey, take this and go to Colossae. Take this and go to Ephesus. Please go check on Titus. I mean, these guys are in and it shaped Paul and it shaped them. Secondly, um, friends share with you, share with you. Again, I just point out, um, uh, they, uh, Gaius shared his house. They shared the mission of their life together. They, sh- they shared their very lives with them. And so uh, one way to diagnose for you, how am I doing with this? Or who are, who are my genuine friends? A couple of questions. Who wouldn't you mind showing up unannounced at your house? That's a, that's a friendship question right there. Or uh, who would you drop what you're doing right now if they needed your help? Whoever that is. Friends share with you their houses, their mission, their lives. They, they just open up themselves to you. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in it is this, uh, I mean, there are, I strung together some quotes on this. Uh, but, man, it is, it is profound. Here, here's some of the things that he said. I have no duty to be anyone's friend. And no man in the world has a duty to be mine. See, we're not entitled to these things. But they do shape us. And as friends share with us, the shaping power goes up. Friendship is unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Uh, Like philosophy, like art, even like the universe itself, it has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. What draws people to, to be friends is that they see the same truth they share it. The typical, typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And some of you have had that moment. They, they, they share with you. There's this sense of, hey, I, I really thought I was the only one. Hey, how about that? We like this together. We see this together. We're walking in this together. Friendship not only shapes you, but friends actually share with you. Okay, and then lastly, oh, uh, just pause here. Um, <clears throat> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, lastly, friends stick with you. That, that's the part uh, that, that I don't, also don't want to miss. Um, again, they were with him in the riot. Um, Aristarchus sailed with him to Rome as he's headed to final imprisonment and death. Uh, people were with him in Jerusalem as things went crazy. Sideways, we'll see here in a couple of weeks. Friends stick with you. They friends see, and, and I mean, if you live that close to someone, this, you know this is going to be true. Friends see your imperfections. They, they see your struggles, um, and yet they still receive you. And they don't reject you. They still accept you instead of being angry with you. And listen, better than that, they are still able to bless you in that moment. That's what, that's what 
friends, that's what it means for friends to stick with you. And furthermore, when the trials come, when the fire gets lit, when the waters rise, whatever, however it is that you want to say it, what do they do? They stick with you. They stick with you. Uh, Proverbs says it like this, uh, 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is why we say around here, when we talk about church, we want to talk about churches, family, like there's a group of people who are with one another here. They, they shape one another, they share with one another, and they stick with one another no matter what. Church is family. Church is family. What happens next? As Paul lands in Troas, um, we saw it illustrated. Let's read it, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. You thought I preached long sermons. Okay. There were many lamps in the upper room where we gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. (laughs) Uh, And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So we learned two things. Number one, long sermons are the norm, and falling asleep is a bad idea when it comes to church. Is that? No. No, no. What, What happened here? Just pause here. Eutychus is just a guy, right? He probably worked a long day. He got off of shift. And now he's up on the third floor. Luke mentions there were many lamps burning. You ever been in a room with lamps? All of a sudden, the air gets a little heavy. You've had a long day. There's this guy droning on and on and on and on. If we had lamps, it would feel like right now. And Eutychus is in the window trying to catch some fresh air going, I just want, okay, okay, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. He's doing that whole thing where he's pinching himself at the pressure points. He's rubbing his fingers. He's cracking his neck. He's doing everything that he can. And Paul keeps talking and Eutychus keeps going down. And ultimately what happens? He falls into a deep slumber. And at some point, maybe just maybe he has a dream, that dream where you, you know, you jerk because it's so real. And as he jerks, what happens? falls out of the window from the third story. Luke, makes sure and note that um, he falls out and, and he is taken up. It says at the end of verse 9, he's taken up dead. Luke is a physician. Uh, he knows a few things about dead people. So he wants to make sure that he's, you, you get it, that he's taken up dead. Um, verse 10 now, Paul went down and bent over him taking him in his arms, said, don't be alarmed. His life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. So Paul didn't get the, like, he didn't get the message, right? Uh, He did not. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. No kidding. Uh, And going ahead of the ship, we set sail for Assos. And then he he talks about all the places that he goes here. I I just want to think for just a moment here about Eutychus and what we learned. Okay, what do we learn from Eutychus? And here's what I think. There's two things, but first is that the word of God is primary for the church. The word of God is primary for the church. Here in the uh, text right here, what do we see? We see Paul there, and he brings them together. He's like, okay, man, I'm going to tell you some things. These are really important things to understand. These are really important for us to know. And he just, he's setting these things out. The word of God is primary. Please hear me say, please hear me say, 
It is not the preacher who is primary. It is not the Sunday school teacher who is primary. It is not the small group leader who is primary. It is the word that is primary for the church. Don't miss that. The, the book of Acts has actually kind of set us up um, for this all along the way. And there, there's over 30 references um, in the first 19 chapters of this. I just want to give you about 15, enough to overwhelm you, okay? So here we go. Uh, Acts 2.41, those who received his word, Peter's word, were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. But many, Acts 4 verse 1, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Um, as for the word, this is a 1030, oh, excuse me, this is 6-4, uh, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to what? And to the ministry of the word. Chapter 8, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And as for the word, chapter 10, that he uh, sent to the Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, because he's the Lord of all. That was chapter 10. Here's 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also done what? Received What? The word, not the preacher, the word. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 12, chapter 13, is they're starting their first missionary journey. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Now, chapter 14, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And now 15, and there had been much debate. Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should do what? Hear the word of the gospel. Hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's chapter 15. At the end of 15, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. When the Philippian jailer is converted in chapter 16, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. In Berea, we saw this a few weeks ago, these Jews were more noble than in Thessalonica. They received what? The word, not the apostles, not the other. They received the word um, with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So, and in Corinth, he stayed a year uh, and six months teaching the word of God among them. And then last uh, chapter, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Do you get the idea here? There, there, there's twice that many, better than that. There's more than that that we could have looked at. I just pulled one from almost every chapter. The Bible is primary for the church. That's why we say this is a church family. We want to be people who are what? Who are saturated with the scripture. We, we don't want to just like have it on us. We want to have it in us. When people squeeze us, when life squeezes us, this is what we want coming out of us. The word is primary for the church. It's not the preacher. It's not the teacher. It's the word. That's primary. In fact, I would go so far as to say if the word becomes less than primary, less than central for us as a church family, guess what? We might be a religious club, but we cease being the church because the word is primary. The spirit has to be operating and be at work in us. And so, church family, we want to be people who daily are in our own lives open the word to us, and weekly gather together around the word for us. In, in the book of Acts, we see it taught, like Paul did here. Uh, we see it discussed. Later in that passage, he says, uh, he went, uh, uh, um, 
Paul had gone up, broken bread, eaten. He conversed with them a long time. So he, you get this idea that he's dialoguing with them as they're working this out. It's one of the reasons why um, our groups are so important. You get the opportunity to dialogue this out. We see it discussed and we see it, uh, excuse me, we see it taught and we see it discussed and we see it obeyed or disobeyed and the consequences that come. That's the key part of this is that the word is central to the church. And some people come along and say, hey, there are parts of the Bible that I don't like. There are parts of the Bible I don't like too. But if I come to the Bible and say, hey, there are parts of the Bible I don't like. You know what the Bible says back to me? Hey, there are parts of you I don't like either. Because if I only have a God that agrees with me, I don't really have a God. I've got an idol. If, there, if there's only a God who would look at me and say, hey, you know what? I hear you. I affirm you just as you are. I want to encourage you just as you are. I want to, you know, just as you are. You're just great. You're just great. There are times when I need to be taken out behind a woodshed and lit up and come back limping. If I only have a God that agrees with me, I don't have a relationship with God. I've got an imagination. I, I, I've got a figment. I don't have God. We want to be people who are saturated with the scriptures. We want the word to remain central so that we don't just have a religious club whose primary agenda is to assuage whatever guilt we're feeling in the moment. We want to be the church, to be the church. And in order for us to be the church, we have to be a people who are saturated with the scripture. The word has to be primary. Taught, discussed, all throughout. We want to be a people saturated with the scripture. Second thing we learn, just quickly here, from Eutychus, is that miracles happen. Can we just have a moment here where we say, that's a good thing right there. Like, that's a good thing that God is that kind of God because some of us face some pretty profound things. Some of us face some pretty amazingly uh, difficult circumstances. And what can we say? Miracles happen. I think the danger in our particular context, in our particular um, kind of moment, if you will, is to seek the miracles. And what I want to just encourage us toward is just this. Um, let's let the miracles, let's let the miraculous find us when, we, when it needs to. Let's not seek miracles. Let's seek God. Let's be the people who go hard after God and lean hard into what he wants for us and let him bring the other stuff along. Jesus said something like this, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And what happens? All the other stuff gets taken care of. He just, he just does it. Here's Eutychus laying on the ground. Paul didn't go, good, I was ready for a miracle today. Like this is that moment. I was just... I, I, kind of wish I had pushed him out myself because, you know, like then I would have had a moment where I could have had, no, mm -mm. the miracle found that moment. And so it is with us. We don't seek the miracle. If we, if we seek the miracle, then we're just one or two steps removed from God being our tool or God being our toy. Like here, God, come out, look at the dancing monkey. Uh, and, and, and you have this thing, you can, you can make an idol out of that. And instead, I think what's best is to seek God and just watch him when the moment needs a miracle. Watch him. Trust him that what? What we need at that moment, he will take care of.
Seek first the kingdom, his kind of righteousness, the rest takes care of itself. God can take care of those kinds of things. I, I just think we, in light of some of the TV preachers, in light of some of the other people, we talked about last week, Paul having handkerchiefs and all that kind of stuff. Listen, don't seek miracles. Seek God. That's what I would say. Seek God and believe him for big things. Yes, believe him for big things. But seek him. Seek him. Um, Eutychus, as we understand that miracles happen, Eutychus is a, is a picture for us. Because here's Eutychus, right, in the window. Is he like a bad person? No, man, the guy went out and worked all day. He's there coming for small group at church, right? They're there having conversations, got a special guest speaker. They probably put up some slides from his missionary journeys. I don't know how it all went down. But he's there. Some of you are like, oh, I know what that feels like. He's, he's there. He's there. And, and you know what he is? He's human. He's frail. He stumbles. He's tired. And he's a picture for us. Because what we want is not for Eutychus to be less human. Or to be, maybe say it this way, what we want is for Eutychus not to be some superhuman that we have to then follow. The, the church, the, the good news of Jesus is not that frail humans have to become superhumans. Is Eutychus bad for falling asleep in church? No, he's just human. One, one of my favorite stories, I, I'll, I've told it before, I'll tell it quickly. One of my favorite stories when we were in Waco, before we came here, um, I preached Saturday night, the Saturday night service. Uh, this one sweet, older lady, counselor, brought in a 14-year-old um, girl who had some really rough situations. The girl laid out in church. I mean, like, laid down on the, on the bench there and slept through the entire service. And the sweet old lady come up to me after. She goes, sorry about that. I'm like, look, I, I mean, whatever. She goes, but this is what the girl said to me. She said, um, oh, oh, that's the first time I've slept in a long time because this is one of the few places that I have felt safe. Come back next week. Take another nap. Right? We, we don't, right? he's not a bad person. Eutychus is not a bad person for falling asleep. And, and we as a church, we don't want bad people to be better people. Eutychus is a picture for us because you and I are the people who in our frailty and in our brokenness have fallen out of the window. And we are taken up dead on the ground. Three stories. We've plummeted and crashed and we're dead. And what has to happen? God has to send someone for us to go, oh, no, 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 no. Her life is in her. His life is in him because I am giving them life. I am working a miracle here, making the dead live. This is why it's such a powerful picture for you and for me. We're the ones who've broken our lives. In our frailty, yes. In our brokenness, yes. We are dead before God. And what happens? He comes in and regenerates us. 
He gives us new life. What happens? He, as we're regenerated, we see the, 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 the good news of Jesus is really good. And so we commit our lives to him. And as we commit our lives to him, he cleanses us and he forgives us of our sin. And then he comes to dwell inside of us so that we are now different people than we were. We were spiritually dead before, but now his life is in us. Therefore, we also live and we get, then get to live out in obedience to him what he has said is best to do. We don't have to go try to obey in order for his life to come inside of us. That never works well. His life comes to us. Therefore, we get to get up and live out what he has. And it says here, and they took him away and weren't a little comforted. No kidding. That's our story. We're laying dead. God comes to us and makes us alive so that we can can live with him and do what he says and be a blessing to others. That's us. Miracles happen. And Eutychus is a great picture of the miracle that he's worked in each of us. So, if you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus, I want you to know that today can be that day where God does that for you. If you're here this morning and you already have, listen, what a moment to, what a moment to celebrate what God has done. Your brokenness on the floor. Oh, no, 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 no. His life, her life, it's in her. His life is in him. That's what we want to celebrate. Just have a moment where we reflect. So we're going to pray and take a second here. Let him continue. Maybe he's already said something pretty profound to you, but let him continue to speak here. And then we'll have a moment to respond. If you are here this morning and you've never put your trust in Jesus and something is stirring around inside of you, the best thing to do is to call out to him and say, God, here I am. I don't know what all is going on, but man, there is something happening inside of me. It feels like life. And if you want to talk about some of the things that are rolling around inside of you, we'll have a couple of folks at the back there. Um, Father, over every person here, as we said earlier, maybe they come in needing a touch and maybe they come in feeling untouchable, but whatever their situation is in this moment, lay hold of them. Put the, the seed that has been, that has been um, put in them. God, now, even now, begin to water and let it grow. Thank you for friends along the way. Thank you for companions. But God, thank you for Jesus most of all. Would you continue your work and do that for his sake?